Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to Off Air with me, Jane Garvey, and me, Fee Glover. Now, we are fresh from our brand new Times radio show, but we just cannot be contained by two hours of live broadcasting. So we've kept the microphones on, grabbed a cuppa, and are ready to say what we really think. Unencumbered and off air. Hello and welcome. A warm welcome, in fact. That's what I'm going to give you because it has got chillier since we did the item on how warm it's been. To Off Air with me, Jane Garvey. God, it was quite a run-up, wasn't it? And me, Fee Glover. Hello. Hello. Uh, now, Fee has got a really important announcement to make because she's got more thoughts on winter coats. Well, I have. Uh, so I enjoyed the article that's in the front of Times 2 today uh, because it's all about uh, it's about wearing trainers to work apparently there's a new kind of ugly trainer that's now incredibly acceptable in even boardrooms across the country jane and i like that because i'm not alone in not being able to get back into a single pair of high heels after the pandemic well it's weird the last couple of weeks i've gone back into my high heeled high heeled ish boots and i'm okay with them so i wonder whether practice makes perfect but I might do a trainer tomorrow. Yes, possibly. I find that I can't move at speed at all anymore. Or maybe my arches have fallen. Were you ever threatened with that as a child? What, fallen arches? Yes. If you didn't get the really, really kind of plonky, uh, formal school shoes that were very ugly indeed, your arches might fall. And I remember thinking that this was a terrible, a fate. terrible thing that might happen to me, Jane. Oh, possible fate that would condemn you for all time yeah. to, the, to the home for women with fallen arches. You didn't have that. No, it must have been it must have been a Hampshire thing because it wasn't it wasn't anything we worried about in up north. Well, maybe trying to keep warm. May oh, don't do your born in a bucket routine. Um, maybe my arches have fallen and yours are intact, and that's why you can get back into a. Boot. The prime minister who was always going around rescuing fallen women. He could have been. Was it Glad? I think it was Gladstone. Was it Gladstone? Yeah, uh, perhaps he really intended to help women with fallen, fallen arches, arches but just got a bit waylaid yeah. and ended up helping fallen women instead oh, possibly yeah. anyway it was just a very very reassuring article i don't often find reassurance in articles about high fashion anymore jane uh, but yeah. that one was because you can wear your ugly trainers and apparently it's the end of the winter coat yes. which as an in 
increasing by the way i mean i mean it nicely no as an increasingly short woman i'm all in favor of the end of the winter coat because nothing reduces your height more than a great big formal winter coat because you disappear inside you, do. you mean yep. yeah yeah um i i did laugh when i read an article about velvet being back because you know it Every single bloody winter, you suddenly start getting offered the chance to buy a velvet shirt or a velvet skirt or a velvet jacket. It does happen every... Don't be fooled, women. Yeah, well, we say that as uh, as two radio presenters who sustained an interesting uh, Wellness Wednesday feature for at least 10 minutes on seasonal adjustment disorder, uh, which you could equally argue does come round every year. Clues in the title. <laughs> yep. Wellness Wednesday, where we bring you up to date with the latest wellness trends. And as Jane has already alluded to, the clocks have gone back. Winter is drawing in. So today we're joined by lifestyle journalist and Wellness Wednesday regular. That's quite a badge after three weeks of the job. Uh, Rosamond Dean <laughs> to find out. Low bar. To find out how to cope when everything feels a bit bleak. Hello from us, Rosamond. Hello. Thanks so much for having me back. It's... I'm glad Gong is, has stayed. Yes, yes. Sure, it's an updated gong because do you remember the first gong had a squeak at the end of it? So we've got a better and bigger gong already. This is the sign of our power. Um, do you, you struggle a bit when the clocks change? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think everybody does to an extent, but some people embrace the kind of coziness and coldness of winter. I don't. I love the summer. And when it starts to get dark, around i don't know if you've got any windows in the studio there but it, it is about four o'clock now it's starting to get dark so you've got about half an hour left of daylight today yep. i mean it is a familiar conversation that you can have at this time of year and isn't it just a, a very basic thing that in the olden times we would just be hunkering down with some potted offal and a jar of blackberries and we'd just slow down for winter and now our society doesn't let us do that so we feel that friction more Exactly. Yeah, we used to hibernate to an extent. And now we have obviously electric lights, but also the blue light from our devices kind of in our faces, often until quite late in the evening. And it's it's not very good for our mental health or our physical health. So we know these things. What is the best way to go about solving them? So light is very important. Obviously, light is key. And the timing of your light is particularly important. So first thing in the morning, you want as much bright natural light on your face as you can. I know that's not always easy when it's a bleak, cloudy, miserable day out there. But not only does that help regulate your mood, but it also regulates your melatonin production. So melatonin is the hormone that regulates your sleep. So by getting that light on your face in the morning, it actually helps you sleep better that evening. Does that honestly mean sticking your head outside, Rosamond? It does. It okay. does. Sticking your head outside. So obviously at this time of year, people talk a lot about vitamin D and vitamin D is so important. It's very difficult to get it from food. And the best source of it is light, natural light outside. Um, so people recommend a vitamin D supplement throughout the autumn and winter, which is a great thing to do. But there are you know, the controversy about how well absorbed into your body it is and the best source is daylight. So as soon as you see the sun on a winter day, get outside. Uh, can you successfully use those other lamps, though, that recreate exactly that kind of light? And if they've been proved to work, why don't we just have bedside lights that have that type of bulb in them? Yeah, I mean, it does depend who you sleep with. 
because uh, I don't know if my husband would enjoy being woken up by a, a sunrise beside the bed. And also I generally get up earlier than him. So you have to work out your your bedroom situation. Uh, so one of those wouldn't work for me, but they sound amazing. I, I would definitely love to try one. Wouldn't it make sense to just for someone to manufacture bulbs like that that you could just put into you know, a couple of rooms in your house when the clocks do change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think if you can get those really bright bulbs in the rooms that you use during the day, because the other thing is you definitely don't want that bright light in the evening because that completely messes up your melatonin production the other way. So it interferes with your sleep. And even if you do fall asleep easily, you're not getting that deep restorative sleep because your melatonin is all over the place because your brain thinks it's daytime because of the bright, you know, bathroom light that you've looked in as you brush your teeth. Mm. Uh, you're going to tell us about something called the Harmony Principle Programme. Uh, mm. This is intriguing. What is it? So the Harmony Principle Programme, it's it's basically an online course and it's rooted in traditional Chinese medicine. So it's quite, you know, it depends how uh, woo-woo you're willing to go, but really what it's about is embracing the seasons. So it's understanding the autumn and winter are a time for, you know, destroying the, you know, the leaves are falling off the trees and we're all feeling a bit at our lowest ebb. And then it's healing and replenishing after that. So it's about embracing the natural cycles of the seasons. Um, and, you know, hunkering down for winter, like you said. It sounds great, but the immediate flaw in the plan is, as you said, it's online. We're going to have to look into a screen <laughs> in order to find yeah. out about it, Rosamond. That's wrong. Yeah, well, you can get those blue light blocking glasses, which are a good idea to wear in the afternoon while you're looking at your blue light screens. And you can also put them on the dimmer settings. There are so many things now that you can do to kind of tweak it and make it easier. But the number one best thing to do is just get out for a walk in the morning as soon as you can after waking up and just, you know, reframe your school run or your commute or whatever to think that's the time when you're getting vitamin D, you're getting exercise, you're getting, you know, if you walk past a tree, you can count that spending time in nature, which is really good for your mental health as well. Mm. All these little things that can be a bit of a boost. Yeah, I went food shopping at uh, about eight o'clock this morning. Did and um, Rosman's absolutely right. It helps. Mm. I just feel better. Have you noticed? Well, you, you were certainly you came into the office in a forceful way today, Joan. I'll say that for you. Uh, <laughs> Rosamond, like thank you. Thank to... you. Oh, thank you so much. No, no, go on, Rosamond. Say, say what was on your mind. Go on. I was just going to say, I would like to know, Fee, if yeah. you took home the mushroom coffee from last week and if it's nice, because I'm trying to cut down on caffeine and if it's good, I might give it a go. Well, the flaw there was there turned out to be caffeine in it, didn't there? Oh, what? Yes. It oh, was... Oh, I see. Sorry. In the in the mushroom coffee, there was caffeine, not in the oh. mushroom tea. I might need to get that absolutely right. Okay. Uh, so I, I confess I had a couple of sips of it and then and then gave up on it. Uh, but Jane did drink half a cup. And I don't know. What was the result? I didn't. I'm afraid I didn't notice a significant improvement. OK. Apparently the team's drinking it every day. I haven't oh, really? noticed any improvement. Yes. Oh, yes, I've noticed an overwhelming improvement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Rosamond, thank you very much. Thanks so much. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Now, our big guest this afternoon is Ian Hislop, the king of TV satirical quizzes. He's been doing Have I Got News For You for as long as any of us can remember, really, since the dawn of time. He's also the editor of Private Eye and he's the co-writer of the play Spike with Nick Newman. And this is about Spike Milligan, of course. Uh, Ian Hislop, good afternoon to you. How are you? Hi. Are you all right, Ian? Yes, yeah, I'm oh, good, thanks. I just got checking. back from you know, your Glasgow. <laughs> you just got back from Glasgow. Yeah, the play's touring at the moment, so right. uh, I was up there last night and I've just returned. Right, OK, you do look um, a little bruised by the experience. Does Glasgow, <laughs> does Glasgow always do that to you? Uh, yeah, no, the, the, the play went down very well and Glasgow's, um, it's a place where there, there are places to celebrate afterwards. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How mean of them to keep them open for you yes. late into yes. the night, Ian. Well, we'll be relatively <laughs> gentle with you. Um, now, we've been talking about Spike Milligan a little bit and I just wonder really whether you could provide just some vital information about him for people who honestly are not old enough to really appreciate his genius. I mean, it was a genius. It's just a very particular sort of genius, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I, the reason we wrote the play was that lots of people have no idea who Spike Milligan was. And um, if you mention the goons, um, they say, well, who were them? Um, so they, there is a feeling that we have a slight memory of the goons when they were old, um, Spike, um, you know, being old and bad-tempered on various sort of odd shows, uh, Peter Sellers making sort of stranger and stranger films and Harry Seacombe doing religious programmes on a Sunday afternoon. And I think we've forgotten the fact that these three young men came out of the army, they were demobbed, they'd been funny in the army and they tried to get into the BBC um, and they wanted to be funny and they produced The Goon Show and that was the first essentially mania. I mean, 1953, there was goon mania. Mm. Um, people couldn't get enough of this. And I think what we're trying to do is just recreate, because Spike wrote all the, all the shows, just his particular subversive, surreal, mad comic world um, for those people who've forgotten it. Because it's such a huge influence. Has that humour aged? Would I, could I listen to an episode of The Goons now and fall about with laughter? Yeah, I think you could. And I really hope that if you came to see the play, we would show you um, enough of it um, that would um, make you laugh. I mean, you know, I, 
I was there last night. I've been everywhere it's toured. And those jokes are still brilliant. Um, no one comes out the theatre thinking, oh, they weren't funny. Um, can, can you give us an example? Is there anything that would translate into a sort of conversational account well, of a gag? I mean, the, the, the thing with Spike is that he's always just trying to disrupt things. Um, so um, uh, whenever um, people listen to the radio show, what, one of the things they never knew was what was going to happen next. Um, I mean, the great... Um, Spike insisted when he died that his tombstone read, I told you I was ill, which is just, you know, um, a classic Spike line. But um, the C of E said, well, you can't have that on a tombstone in the parish. So his family then had to um, fight this long battle and they ended up just writing it in Gaelic uh, uh, on the tombstone so no one could see it. And it was, for us, that was just an absolutely classic bit of Milligan right to the end he wanted to annoy people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he was, I mean, when, when he was first asked about um, his, um, his tombstone, um, someone said, well, I mean, do you want to go to heaven? And Spike said, well, yes, providing Geoffrey Archer's not there, uh, <laughs> in which case I want to go to Dagenham. <laughs> we, um, <laughs> right. And we, just, we, we, we find this all the time. We do these sort of Q&As after the, the theatre and then essentially people don't ask questions they just they tell us better jokes and we think oh we better put that one in the show as well how much of his or their anarchic humor was rooted in in really in sometimes the absurdity of their military experience which isn't to undermine by the way what they went through because i think spike had shell shock didn't he yes he got blown up in monte cassino and basically had ptsd afterwards um and I think a lot of the edge of his comedy came from the way he was treated. I mean, the um, he had it in particularly for one officer who accused him of cowardice afterwards um, and was totally unsympathetic. So there was a real anger there about the way he was treated. Um, and eventually um, a sympathetic um, uh, uh, medic said, well, you know, you're not any good for um, heavy artillery anymore. But, you know, what about light entertainment? Um and Spike started playing his trumpet and making jokes. And suddenly he could turn his experience into comedy. And um, Harry Seacombe again, I mean, had a milder. He was said, I didn't have it as bad as Spike. But he got sort of blown up as well. So they came out of the army sort of furious about um, the officer class, really. Um, and they were all, all three of them were young working class men. And then they went off to the BBC and they thought, the same people are in charge here. Um, they're just wearing blazers differently. Yes. Uh, I so a lot of that subversion was, was you know, um, uh, just transferred. A lot of the play is about uh, Spike's difficult relationship with BBC management, something I find very hard to understand. But yeah, No, um, no, I thought it might appeal. But, but is it something that audiences get? Do people care about the fact that BBC management were out of touch and not especially sympathetic or indeed emotionally intelligent in any way? Um, they do if it's funny. And we found this terrific treasure trove of letters which um, management had written to Spike and Spike had written back and inter-office memos. And the level of sheer um, stupidity is marvellous. Um, and also Spike is just very funny um, when he's attempting to um, put his own point of view. I mean, a lot of the letters are just saying, can I have some more money, please? Um, again, which... Um, 
know, many people who worked at the BBC find find very attractive. Yeah. <laughs> did you use the same template, Jane? <laughs> I did take advice from Spike. Actually, I'm not sure it was both my best uh, my best option in retrospect. Uh, but he was the, he was the writer, but wasn't paid as much as the others. Weirdly, no, he was paid half um, what Peter Sellers and Harry Seacombe got, and he kept being told, "Well, they're the talent. They're the talent." Um, you know, we um, we pay you too much, I think they thought. Um, and they just didn't realise that Spike had essentially created this world. And he was very infuriating for, for management. I mean, I mean, this is 1950s, and we imagine that it was a sort of very deferential age. But just after the coronation, the goons did a fake coronation with Sir Richard Dingleby um, and a character who was quite clearly the Queen. Um <laughs> And uh, the BBC management said, you called her the Duchess Boyle de Spudswell, which is a classic um, Spike joke. And this is the Queen. And he said, oh, no, 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 it's not the Queen at all. And then, I mean, just shortly after that, they were um, uh, upbraided for um, uh, making jokes about the Prime Minister, uh, Winston Churchill. I mean, this wasn't an unpopular Prime Minister. This was this was Churchill. Mm. Um and the BBC literally, I mean, this is one of the, the jokes in the show. I mean, um, he he was told um, Winston Churchill won the war. And Spike said, well, he had a bit of help from some of us. Uh, <laughs> and that was his attitude. You know, I will not be deferential. Um, you know, I was there. And was he a happy man in his own life? Or was he a, a troubled comic? He was. I mean, he, he suffered from um, depression. And I think he was very difficult. Um I think the the happiest he was was when he was working. And I think it, uh, certainly according to, to Harry Seacombe, who was the great, he, he comes out as the hero of the play, really. He was the great peacemaker between these warring egos of Peter Sellers and um, Spike Milligan. Um, but um, he, he um, maintained that um, when Spike was working and it was going well, his job was to remind him, this is what you wanted, Spike. Um, <laughs> You know, we're on uh, the radio. We've got four million listeners every weekend. We're national heroes and we're creating this vast amount of pleasure. Just enjoy it. Um, I mean, Spike nearly, nearly enjoyed it, I think. Mm. And was his depression very stigmatised? I mean, he was operating at a time before we had an open conversation about mental health. And I think a lot of people tried to keep their mental illnesses uh, very separate and very hidden from their, their, their public kind of face. Yeah, no, he didn't, Spike. I mean, he was quite happy to... Um, uh, the, the original title for the, the Goon Show was Crazy People um, um, before it was turned into um, The Goon Show, which nobody understood at all. And the BBC thought it meant The Go On Show, um, which, you know, in the end it did. But, no, he, um, he went into um, uh, a place called St Luke's where um, he was looked after very well and he had therapy and he had treatment of drugs... And all of this was sort of, he was quite open about. But what I think is was different from that era is just Spike continually turned it into comedy. I mean, there was there was part of him that couldn't resist. I and mean, there's a famous interview with Anthony Clare, who used to do these radio interviews. And um, Spike was talking very seriously about his mental illness. And then he said, um, yes, I got it from my mother. She was very highly strung uh, from the ceiling. Gosh. Which is an extraordinarily black joke, mm. um, which we then put in the play, obviously. Um, 
because uh, it, it seemed too funny not to. But he was he was very straightforward about it. Mm. I mean, he said things like um, someone said, oh, are you psychoneurotic? Because there were various definitions going around then. And he said, no, no, I'm just a bit loony. Um, and he he was pretty upfront um, about his own state. If you were straight out of university or the army at the moment, Ian, do you think that the BBC would employ you? Would they give you a red carpet into the world of comedy? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think Spike got a red carpet in. I mean, he basically had to hang around in the Grafton Arms with um, everybody else who wanted to get into light entertainment um, and find a path in. But in the end, I think he was just too good. Um, there was no way of stopping him. And I do think that's probably true. I mean, it's it's a very sort of boring old man's view that there's no one any good anymore and you can't get in. Um, I think there are loads of people who are good and I think you still can get in. Um, and the, the the interesting thing about Spike's story is, is by the end, he's still furious with the BBC. I mean, he used to ring up Private Eye when I was first there because he had a, a long-standing relationship with my predecessor. And Peter Cook, who owned Private Eye, was a huge um, Milligan fan. I mean, literally, you know, the phone, you'd pick it up and there'd be a voice on the end going, bloody BBC! <laughs> and it would be Spike. I mean, he he wouldn't actually introduce himself. He'd what, just start ranting. What about um, your, um, Ian, what about your own relationship with the BBC? Because there's always a, a bit of BBC knocking in private eye. Yes. And I, I want to out myself as someone who has a subscription to your organ, as you refer to it. Uh, but yes. um, there's also the absolute fact that you yourself appear on the BBC very regularly and you earn a yes. lot of money for doing Have I Got News For You. How, oh, how I does... thought you were about to say for very little. That, that, no, no, <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. Here. Obviously, the implication was there. Um, so how does that work for you? Um, I mean, very well, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, it works fine. Um, I, I feel entirely free to criticise um, the BBC and I feel entirely free to support it. Um, if someone tries to abolish the licence fee, um, I, I consider myself an independent voice. Um, my first big television work was um, for ITV. I worked for Spitting Image for five years. I mean, uh, that's that's that was my early break. Um, and I've done a lot of documentaries for Channel 4 and um, other people. I mean, I suppose I'm saying I'll work for anyone, which is... Yes, you certainly named all of the main contenders. Very, very careful to do all bases. Exactly that. Um, What about the stuff that you know, Ian? And I suspect there are some things that I know that you also know that you wouldn't put in private eye because you couldn't. Does that ever keep you awake at night? Um... I really do think if I absolutely definitely know something, I will put it in. I mean, I think, um, again, uh, I think it's a slight myth with people say, you must know the most amazing stuff about people. And you think, well, I know what people are saying about people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually know whether it's true. Um, and my problem, and, you know, it's, it's the problem of everyone, is is um, can you actually get anywhere near proving this? Mm. And you know, with at the moment, as 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 we all know, I mean, the the rumor mill round uh, Westminster is just full of the most unbelievable stories. Um, and because I'm now very old, um, I have to keep thinking. Well, there were extraordinary stories, um, you know, milling around in the Thatcher era, in the Blair era, and everyone said, "Well, you you never you never run those because uh, you don't dare." And it turns out um, none of them were true. Which yeah. was a bit of a problem, yes. um, and and so that um, 
that remains my point of view. And are you always being sued at Private Eye? I mean, I've heard you say that before, but but maybe that's just a you know kind of a broad brush generalisation. I mean, who's suing you at the moment? Um, no, we're not always being sued. Um, we used to be sued a lot for libel, um, and uh, then the libel laws were changed partly um, because of the Guardian's sort of um, heroic efforts, um, but I mean a little bit because of ourselves and the ludicrous cases we kept. Um, losing and <laughs> getting involved with. But nowadays, uh, you tend not to be sued for libel. We tend to get um, legal um, uh, um, uh, problems over confidentiality and privacy. Um, and we do get those letters. I mean, we've had two injunctions um, attempted in the last mm, four or five issues. So there, there are people who are very keen... Just, just explain. Yeah, injunction would be somebody involved in a story contacting you or their lawyers contacting you to say, we want to put the mockers on that, we, we don't want yes. you to publish it, right. And uh, nowadays you, you can do this by saying we... Not that this story isn't true, but this story is um, commercially confidential. Um, and so the only... worst of those are, you know, in, in relationships between the government and outsourced providers where right. we feel that we have a right to know how public money is being spent and they feel they have a right not to tell you how public money is being spent because it's a commercial deal with a, a, a private um, company. So that's a real pain. Um, confidentiality. And the other one is privacy. Because if you get before a judge and you just say, this story may be true, but it's an invasion of my privacy and um, therefore no one can know about it. Yeah, that is that is frustrating. In, I can see that. In the end, Ian, I'm, I'm not going to put words into your mouth, but it's hip hypocrisy that gets to you, isn't it? It's, it's hypocrisy and hypocrites. Um, yes. I mean, uh, that is the worst. I mean, the old um, 18th century... Satirists always said everything was um, what they were interested in was vice, folly and humbug. And I think that's probably still true. Um, we're less pompous about vice now. We just, you know, worried about being called judgmental. Um, but um, I think straightforward sort of theft or profiteering or bad behaviour is still is still worth pointing out without being too scared. Um, but humbug is, is, is a great modern sin. Um, and um, it's Private Eye has always been good at doing that, I think. That was Ian Hislop. And I think he was quite glad to go, wasn't he, by the end of that interview, Jane? Um, yes, I mean, I've, I've been out in Glasgow and uh, it's something everyone should do. Um, at least at least once in their maybe life. Maybe not on a weeknight. <laughs> maybe not in a weeknight when you're on the radio the next day. Actually, it truly terrifies me, the idea of trying to perform in even the limited way I do um, after a night out there. I pick on Glasgow only because I think it probably is one of the truly great places to go on a night out in Britain. I've done a couple of, of radio programmes in Glasgow and I have, they have always, they've just been terrific because there's, there's just, they're just brilliant. They won't need to hear this from me or indeed anybody else and certainly not from somebody with an accent like mine. They're wonderful people and I won't use the words up there but you know it's implied in the way I've said it. Mm. I thought a lot of what Ian Hislop said about Spike Milligan was really interesting. Do you know, I have been left with the thought though just about his um, his mental illness because uh, Ian didn't make light of the illness at all but no. of the reaction that people had to it because Spike Milligan was so open about it. 
I think that's actually really important to remember because that would have been a time when very few people walked around openly saying, I suffer from depression and sometimes I'm in hospital because of it. Well, it was interesting today that we, we did talk about student mental health on the programme and I'm not in any way demeaning that because I, I know it can be a tough time leaving home and you're, you're on your tod in a place that you might not know with all kinds of expectations. It can be very difficult for you. But people like Spike Milligan, for the rest of their lives lived with things they'd seen and possibly things they'd done in wartime that, I'm sorry, I mean, the impact of that is going to be colossal, isn't it? Mm. So little wonder that people of his ilk had to cope somehow, and in his case, he turned his creative genius to fantastically good use, but that obviously did mean as well that he would be incredibly dragged down by, by what was in his head and what, was, what, what his memories consisted of. Yep. Uh, so the stage play is on. It's touring all around the country. I think the next stop is Richmond and then it heads to Cardiff and it's simply called Spike and it's written with uh, Nick Newman, yeah. who is a long-time collaborator of Ian Hislop. And I forgot to mention when we were talking to Ian that the character of Spike is played by an actor called Robert Wolf Wolfert, I hope I've got that right, who is best known for being Jason in Gavin and Stacey. Oh, we like Jason and Gavin and And he Stacey. is the guy, do you remember, went on the fishing trip with the Rob Brydon character and something happened okay, yes. on the fishing trip that's yes, never that's fully Well, it's never explained. It's often referred to, then, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So he's a, he's a great actor, yeah. Uh, this one from Ali. You can send us an email about anything you like. Jane and Fee at times.radio. Hello, ladies. The music for the podcast is dreadful. I'm sure I'm not the only one. It doesn't reflect the nature of the podcast. It doesn't compliment your voices. It's jarring and really unpleasant. Please change it. Thank you, Ali. Um, <laughs> this has given some backup from Kate who's in Launceston in Cornwall. Um, I was in the audience at the Royal Festival Hall. Oh, yes. We had a residency there. Two whole nights. Do Admit enjoy saying that, Admittedly, during the pandemic, when audiences were relatively <laughs> were small. Halved. Anyway, that's right. Um, and you talked about that on the White Wine Question Time podcast with the wonderful Kate Thornton. Um, I will stop the stalker element of the email now, but Chloe, the emailer from Tuesday's pod, is entirely correct. Your music bed is really irritating. OK, well, that's... I mean, I think evidence is mounting to suggest that somebody needs to do something about that. Okay. And that person is not me, sadly. <laughs> but I'm sure it will be dealt with. Well, I think when uh, when we've been inundated, uh, as many programmes like to say, so we've had two emails about a subject, it's definitely right for referring up. Read Annabelle's email. Annabelle says, Dear Fee and Jane, I've been enjoying your podcast very much, found out about it during lockdown, and since then it's been a joyful addition to my weeks. Being between jobs right now, I prefer the term working on my karma when asked. I love that. I'm so happy that I can hear you every day on Times Radio. This really helps me mentally throughout the week, adding some structure to my day and maintaining and stretching my perspective. I hope you will continue being just as you are and so consistently. I find you and your relationship very inspiring. Oh, Annabelle, please. It sounds like you give a damn about each other, your listeners, and the world in general. Well, I think to be fair, that's true. We do. We um. There's an element. Of, there is an authenticity to this, isn't there? <laughs> oh, God Almighty! 
Lean on your patch and it's Thursday, it's the end of the week. You will then have a whole 36 hours where you don't have to see me. But Jane, I might pop round. Oh no, I've moved actually. Um, thank you very much for engaging with this. We appreciate it and we love hearing from you. So the email address is at janeandfee at times.radio. And yeah, actually do criticise, criticise whatever you like. A bit of gentle encouragement though really does help, doesn't it? Yes, you're great. Thanks. <laughs> You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.